Welcome to Level with Emily Reese. This is music by Joel Korolitz for Death Stranding, a new game from Hideo Kojima that drops today, in case you haven't paid attention to any gaming news for the last, I don't know, six years. <laughs> Joel worked closely with the main composer on the game, Ludwig Forsell, and those two together created a new set of sounds for the game. Uh, driven largely by Joel. So Joel created a bunch of these mini compositions to kind of convey these ideas of sounds and sent them to Ludwig and so on. Uh, so he'll explain more of how that unfolded, but just so you know, you'll hear some of those sample compositions throughout this episode, as well as the two compositions that Joel has that uh, are going to be on the soundtrack. So. In any event, that's a little background on Joel's role. Uh, he'll, of course, explain much more. It's pretty cool, the work they did on this game for the music. And the game itself, of course, has been shrouded in mystery. There's so much, I, I think so much of the game has been shrouded in all this sort of like hype and mystery and all these like inscrutable trailers, particularly yeah. that one where the camera zooms down Norman Reedus's throat and there's a baby in his throat and everyone is <laughs> like, what is happening? And then, and then of course the internet took that and absolutely ran with, ran with it as they should. Yeah. Um, it's a future apocalyptic landscape the world is a wasteland, and you're a courier, um, and your name is Sam, and you have to deliver things. Um, mm. You have to sort of weave the weave the fabric of the country back together. Um, but it, it all starts with with you as a courier making deliveries, and there's this um, this event called the Death Stranding that um, it kind of involves this this pocket dimension. Um, where there are these beings that live there that um, you need certain things to be able to communicate with. And then there are various factions that are not in the pocket dimension that are just sort of out in the world that are, that are trying to interrupt you and um, kind of foil your, your plans essentially. So what's interesting though, and you know, full disclosure, I haven't played the game yet. <laughs> wow. I mean, surely they sent you video, or did you just get art? I got art and some video and okay. some descriptions. So what's interesting about this process, and, and this is where I can be just totally transparent, um, I'm a lot of the, the game is a mystery, as much a mystery to me as it is to a lot of people that have been watching the trailers. Okay. I've, I've probably seen most of what everyone else has seen and a little bit more. Okay. Wow. So you're really yeah. kind of uh, in the dark as well. Yeah. 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 Wow. Uh, so what kind of direction musically then did you get from the audio director or from whomever kind of told you what they wanted in terms of sound and music? Ludwig Forsell is the audio director at, at Kojima Productions. He's also the lead composer of this game. And my initial conversations were with him and Sony, the publisher, and... They had some rough ideas of kind of what they wanted. Ludwig had some ideas of what he wanted, um, and they knew that they needed some help in order to achieve them. So 
right off the bat, it was a different role for me because I'm usually, you know, when I'm when I'm composing music for a game, it's I'm the composer. Right. Um, and in this situation, I was hired to help the composer. Yeah. Um, so so initially, it's a it's a different, you know, it's it's a totally different entry point for me, which is kind of exciting. I mean, I think I think what's kind of a challenge about composers and composer personalities, and I would absolutely include myself in this description, <laughs> um, is that we're all, so, we're sort of control freaks, and we have kind of a, even though we can be introverted and um, like demure and all this stuff outwardly, like a lot of us have this sort of um, like megalomaniacal, I want I want to be the composer, like I, I want it all, you know? And <laughs> and I think like from, from most of the composers I've talked to, I, I would say that that's, fairly accurate. And I think some of that comes from just the fact that like music is music creation is a fairly singular solitary art and I think a lot of it maybe derives from that. Yeah. So um but but the other thing I like about being a composer, I mean the other the thing that I think really draws me to this and keeps it exciting in my career is the fact that um for me, it's always different. Every project is so different down to like, not just stylistically, because stylistically, that's why I like to do this, because I like to do something totally different on every project. But even just like, well, what's my role? And what's what's the role of a composer? That can shift and change so dramatically, at least in my career, from project to project. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's a, I just went off on kind of a huge tangent, but just bringing it back to our, our initial conversation, I think it was sort of about, well, you know, we, we don't know what we want exactly for the score yet, but we know that it should, it needs to be non-traditional. Um, Ludwig definitely wanted like a non-traditional score that didn't necessarily emphasize, that was very textural kind of in nature. Um, not a huge emphasis on melody. Um, although, you know, theme definitely comes into play. I mean, he wrote the theme that you'll hear at the end of, of most of the Death, Death Standing trailers. So Melody has a has a role here to play. Um, mm-hmm. But the main focus of the soundtrack and the identity, I, I, I think he knew and Sony knew that they wanted to come from the very fabric of the instrumentation in the soundtrack itself. So to me, that really piqued my interest because I consider myself as much of a sound designer as a composer. I think I don't work from a template. Um, everything that I do, I design on the spot. Typically, it's it's become it's become part of the compositional process for me. So, when I work on a new project, I open a completely blank slate, and I very often will not. And this this is not me being a preset snob or a la, or a non preset snob because I yeah. think that's like a thing. Like oh, that's a yes. thing, and I hear it, and it's obnoxious. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with using presets, but I think that that's, I mean, to me, kind of, and every composer kind of goes through this, where they, they go through their career and they figure out, well, what, what defines me as a composer? What's my, what's my unique take on this art and, and philosophy? And I think what I've realized over the past, you know, I don't know, I, I should just say my whole career, is um, that that's part of my take, is that I... I enjoy sound design. A huge part of composition for me is sculpting sounds in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and I think the work that I did with Sony on the Unfinished Swan, on the on Tomorrow Children, and on Hohokam, I think, I think that they got to know me as that kind of composer. And so, when Ludwig was like, you know, I want it, I want a, a non-traditional score with unique textures and unique timbres, they they immediately thought of me. Um, 
and they connected us and we all talked and we had a couple really good conversations and then we kind of started running with it and I, I can kind of tell you about how the process evolved because um, you know it kind of went from this real general like well here's you know here's kind of what we want but but it, a lot of the process involved zeroing in on what that meant. Uh, you said something a, a moment ago about, you know, the just the sound coming from the instruments that you did use, and I know that a lot of the sounds you created didn't necessarily come from instruments. <laughs> uh, you could questionably right. call them instruments, <laughs> or that was their role for that moment in time. Uh, so talk to me yeah. a little bit about kind of uh, just collecting, I guess, objects to create texture with in the first place. So that was a it was a multi-phase process. The first the first phase was um, creating actually creating these minute-long compositions that I sent to Ludwig just kind of for context, but they were all created out of sounds that I that I that I'd made myself. So um, and that ranged from synth sounds to me just banging on stuff that I found around the house and um, and so. And a lot of the stuff that I, a lot of the found objects components of of these one minute long compositions that I that I sent were like plastic bins and boxes, and I'd process them in various ways. And those elements of the compositions ended up being many of the most successful because they filled the role. They filled the role of of traditional percussion, um, and and kind of the the size and the energy and the weight that those things needed to communicate in a, in a score like this, but they didn't sound like anything else. So, mm. um, so yeah, initially it was, it was kind of what, whatever I could find, like pots and pans and, and anything that was really resonant, like, a like those big plastic storage bins. Yeah. All that stuff was really successful. And I think, and, and so that's kind of, that's where my mind went immediately when, when Ludwig said, you know, I want, I want a big kind of movie trailer, really aggressive sound, but I don't want to use big drums. Mm -hmm. My, my brain goes to, well, all right, like what, you know, what's, what has the characteristics of drums, but, and that are going to fill the role. And like I said, have the weight and the depth that we need, but maybe don't have the same timbre and, you know, anything with a medium and a resonator can operate like a drum. So yeah. like a big storage bin is great because there's a huge pocket of air that can that can mm -hmm. resonate depending on where you place it. And then you've got this great surface that in a lot of ways can can act like a membrane. Um, and, and in fact really does. And so we loved the initial sound of those. And so what he did and what Sony helped helped me do was deconstruct those one minute long compositions into sample banks that okay. Ludwig could use. Um, so separating out all the sounds that then he can piece back together how he likes? Exactly. So my compositions were really just to demo the way that, that these sounds would work. And it was actually, it was a cool way to do it because yeah. it made me think, even though these, these minute-long compositions will never be heard um, outside of my studio and his studio, they helped me get into more of a creative mindset it wasn't just me banging on a pot and sending that mm -hmm. as a one-shot sample. It was, 
it was integrating those sounds into a composition, mixing them for a composition that I think enabled me to get into a more creative headspace while creating them. Mm -hmm. And then, and then it showed kind of how they could be used. And I think it, the whole process, I think kind of injecting creativity into that sound creation process helped the momentum and it helped really shape the score in a very rapid way. So we kind of had a really good sense. I think we did about 10 minutes worth of those. So about 10 compositions total um, split out into probably a few dozen um, sample banks. And mm -hmm. then that was like a really good way to prototype the score really rapidly. And then our next steps were really clear, which was when the, when the fun really started. <laughs> and I think, <laughs> I think that's maybe what you were alluding to earlier. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to know to what extent, if any, were you involved with the actual sounds in the game, the, this, the, you know, the sound effects part of it? That I'm, I'm not involved with the sound okay. effects at all. And okay. as far as I know, and this is something I'm not 100% sure about, Ludwig's duties on this, on this project, and this is part of the reason why I was brought in to help support him, he's not only, only the composer, but he's audio director at Kojima. So he oversaw a lot of the voiceover sessions mm -hmm. um, and was involved in the creation of potentially all, I know some, maybe all of the sound effects for the game. So... Wow. He he covered such a wide range, and I think he wrote like seven plus hours worth of music for this game. Oh, so man. he was swamped. I mean, yeah. he had a he had a busy couple of years working on this. So I think yeah. I think the support was welcome, and I think it came at a at a good time, and it was a good fit for me, mm -hmm. which is why I said yes to it. And of course, I was you know super hyped about this game along with everyone. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. Talk about how you actually found out that you'd be working on the game. I got an email from the music supervisor at Sony, Pete Scaturro, that I usually work with. Um, he and I, over the years, have forged a great relationship. I love working with him. I feel like at the end of every project, I emerge as a better composer, mm -hmm. and I think that's like the best kind of the best kind of relationship you can have. Um, yeah. Just in any kind of creative working relationship where I feel like I am pushed to be better every time I work on something. So he reached out and he said, "Do you want to talk about this project, Death Stranding?" And of course. I absolutely did, and I knew about it. You know, I knew as much about it as anyone just from trailers. I knew that Kojima had had started his own studio and, and was working on this game, and so I, of course, said absolutely. And mm. and that was that was prior to our our first kind of um, creative brainstorming sessions that I talked about. Um, what was it like to work on such, I mean, just compared to uh, some of the projects that you and I have discussed in the past, this music is pretty aggressive. Yeah. So, uh, you know, is that, a, is that a stretch for you in any way or it's just, part, it's just part of your palette, it doesn't matter? It was definitely a stretch for me. It was incredibly challenging. Okay. Have, yeah, and I, I think that goes hand in hand with why I like working with a music supervisor that pushes me. Um, and of course, Ludwig is the creative director of the score, so he, his his feedback, was was paramount. But yeah. um, but I think, yeah, I emerged on the other side of this as someone who could could compose a style of music that I didn't think I could compose because mm -hmm. I think my general sensibilities, even though I'm I'm really interested in sound design and that component of of what I do was a pretty good fit for this game. My general sensibilities are are more delicate and more kind of lyrical and a lot of times kind of wistful. And I think mm -hmm. that's why the unfinished Swan Gora Goa and 
and some kind of similar like emotional tones are, have been good fits for me. Yeah. It's also part of the reason why I love this job and loved working on this game so much because I went somewhere that I've never gone mm. and I got to do it as part of a project, not just by myself in the studio. And I think that that's like, those are some of the intangible things about being a composer that I really like. Like the idea that I don't have to have demonstrated this, this style on another project for them to know that I can handle it, which right. I'm tremendously grateful to have so much trust placed in me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think th- it kind of goes back to working on The Unfinished Swan and writing Baroque-style music for the first time and working on Tomorrow Children and writing these uh, military-style choir pieces for the first time. Mm-hmm. I think I'm sort of comfortable in being uncomfortable some, sometimes. <laughs> I mean, to me, that's, it's the, sometimes it's the most exciting environment to be where you're, and I, you know, I think being uncomfortable, even though in the moment it can be like, oh, I don't, you know, I, there were days when I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing and I don't know if I can write music that needs to be as aggressive as the score can be. I mean, yeah. and I haven't said any, I haven't really said that to anyone until now. Uh-huh. I should point out, after my sound design duties were over, I'm talking about the phase of production where I was actually writing additional music because I, I wrote about 40 minutes of score for the battle systems in the game. Which is a lot of so music, yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a lot of music. I mean, it's not seven hours, but <laughs> 40 minutes is still, I mean, 40 minutes is still two thirds of the Unfinished Swan. So Jeez. still a lot. Um, yep. And I think, you know, I came, I came out on the other side of this project knowing more about um, how to go really big with a piece of music because it's not easy. It's right. it's like metal or you know or, or any any style of music that's primarily about like a visceral kind of energy. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a totally different headspace and sensibility and yep. and it's really about. Um, I mean, it's it's so hard. I can't sum it up in one sentence, but I think it has more to do with even though it's an aggressive form of music, it is such a delicate craft to create a piece of music that just feels like it's going to tear your head off every second. (laughs) And I mean, I hope I got there. Like that was my goal. And just because you have to, if the, you know, if you're, if you're writing a two or three minute piece that has to be super aggressive for its entire duration, you can't repeat a lot of stuff because then the pattern recognition part of your brain kicks in and just stops listening. So you can't, you can't do that. And then the sounds themselves, they have to all work together in this beautifully intricate puzzle that takes a lot. It's a, it's a real balancing act to get that to happen. You can't overlayer because right. if you overlayer, it just creates this soup and it, it just doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't cut. Mm-hmm. And then to do it with sounds that were all recorded by us in Sony <laughs> Studio, where there's no rules, where it's like, you know, you could probably watch tutorials about how to make like a metal track or, or how to make a movie trailer track, but they're probably not playing paint rollers and like bags of bolts and stuff, <laughs> which, <laughs> which is a good segue into the next part of this. <laughs> well, yeah, because I got to know about the piano with the sledgehammers. Oh yeah, of course. Because that, I mean, I think, and that's really where we get into the meat of the, the sound design that, that was created for this and the, and the palette that was created for the score, which is, um, yeah, we, we spent three days at Sony. This was all the way back in 2017. So almost two years ago. So I'm glad I can finally talk about it. But yeah, we, um, we spent three days at Sony and there, we did a lot. We, we, we sampled things for 
three straight days. And, and that was after we'd kind of gone through this process of writing these little demo tracks to communicate kind of what the general tone and how certain samples that I was just creating in my studio might be used. This mm-hmm. is when we, we did, we, we took it and that's when we recorded like single hits on, on okay. different objects so for, I, for I don't days. Mean, I don't mean, I just want to so, kind of recap that then. So you, you sent the one minute tracks with stuff that you sampled at your home and then you guys met up at Sony and <clears throat> yes. did you then determine from those one minute tracks that you had to send initially, these sounds we want to sample. That's how that went down? N- no, it. I think it, it was more like that first part of the process informed the kinds of sounds that we knew were working oh, gotcha. and that we might want to focus on. So yeah, we didn't resample anything. We didn't re-record anything. But it, I think it informed kind of what we thought we needed for that bigger sampling session. Sure, so, sure. Okay. And the bigger sampling session involved <laughs> Sony reaching out to me um, because I, it, in a lot of ways, I was kind of the leader and the creative director behind these sampling sessions. Okay. Um, Sony reached out to me and, and asked, what do you need? And I said, I want a plastic oil drum. I want a steel oil drum. I want a piano <laughs> that we can just do whatever we want to. And then let's go to, let's go to the hardware store and just get like a cartload of, of crap that we can. <laughs> and they said, okay. And when we got there, there was a piano and two brand new oil drums. which A plastic one and a metal one. Yeah, which was very exciting just to be like, I want this and this. And then it was all there. Um, wow. They'd found this piano that um, I think getting it to the studio probably cost more than the piano itself. <laughs> but it was, in, it was in decent enough shape. Um, and I, you know, I, I think like kind of being a sensitive person, I... Yeah. I felt really weird about like modifying or doing any like physical damage to an instrument, which right. I should actually point out that we did not really do. We, we prepared the piano, um, yep. but we did not abuse the piano. And I think <laughs> to me, like yeah. I, I have always found like guitar smashing and all that. There was a, a, a guitar that got smashed during the sampling sessions, but <laughs> I should say that I've, I've always considered that to be like very profane. And it, I am extremely uncomfortable with it. Okay, yeah, yeah. I can I can see that for sure, yeah. And I know musicians do it, and I know a lot of it has to do with sort of this, you know, the, the visceral energy and, like, getting caught up in that and, and then just wanting to, like, break stuff. And I get mm-hmm. that, but I've always, I've always sort of also seen it as, like, well, you're, you're, just, you're snuffing out this life somehow, yeah. and it, it, that's yeah. always bugged me. Anyway, yeah. we didn't do that. We, the well, piano is very much alive. <laughs> It just got punched in the face a few times with a sledgehammer, or how did that work? So um, it was probably the most extensively sampled instrument over those three days. We oh, wow. made every sound we possibly could with this piano. So the first thing that, that we did, and this is something I've always wanted to do, was we prepared it. And mm-hmm. um, we didn't So you're talking like about a, maybe sticking things in the strings so that when you hit a key, it makes a sound or some modifying it in, the, in that way. That's what a prepared piano is, yeah. Ex- yes, exactly. Yeah. So, and it's not something you want to do like, to like a really good piano because it right. does mess up the tuning and it can screw up the soundboard and it can, it can do things, but wow, does it sound cool like yeah. when, you, when you actually do it. So I just, I didn't do, it was kind of inspired by like the John Cage style prepared piano, but... John Cage has, and and I I know that you know this, but this is probably more for the listeners, like a really specific way that he wanted the piano to be prepared, and we did not do that. Um, however, 
I did do things that were inspired by John Cage's classic piano preparation where there, there are various places where you can actually, you can wedge a screw between some of the strings and then you can put like a, like a loose bolt or nut on it. Mm-hmm. So that not only does it stop the strings in an interesting way and bring harmonics out, but then the nut on the end of the end of the screw or bolt vibrates and creates yeah. this whole other texture. So there was some of that that we did. We stuck playing cards in the strings. We um, the one of the coolest things is just putting duct tape over the dampers, and then you get this <laughs> dulcimer kind of tone, which is beautiful. And so cool. we actually spent, I think maybe like two hours worth of the session. We're just holding, playing a note. Play, I think we, I didn't, I don't think we played the whole keyboard, but just playing a note on the piano and holding it until it faded out into nothing and then creating an actual piano instrument from that, <sighs> which was really cool. Uh-huh. But the biggest thing that we used the piano for was as a percussion instrument. So back what I was saying about, um, just like a, a drum being having a, a medium that you hit or some kind of surface that you strike and then a vibrating body or even like a vibrating chamber. A piano is not entirely different than that. Like it, it's even called, uh, you know, I had to remind myself like a piano is, a, is kind of put in the percussion category in, mm-hmm. in classical instrumentation where it's, a, it's chromatic percussion. So yeah. we experimented a lot with that. So one of the most successful things we did, and I think you'll, they're on... Sounds from this part of the session are on most of the cues that I wrote for the game where we, we laid the piano. This was an upright piano. We laid it on its back. Uh-huh. We supported it with pillows and, and I think even some blocks so it wasn't flush against the floor. But there's that part of an upright in kind of the belly where you can see the strings. Yeah, okay, and yeah. We, we opened that up and struck the strings in various places with a really heavy rubber mallet. <gasps> and that's probably the most like aggressive thing we did to this piano where we, we we would basically strike it as hard as we could in the belly and then just let the strings ring out and we would we would cover you know mute various parts of the strings we we plucked the strings really hard with a I remember Ludwig getting in there and just like really plucking the strings hard with a one of those wrapped beaters that you use for gongs and things. Oh yeah. That sounded yeah. really good. But he actually <laughs> used it to pull against the strings. I mean it, there were a few points at which I mean you, I've heard horror stories about piano strings snapping and like people losing limbs and stuff <laughs> because there's so much pressure on these strings that if yeah. like it snaps, it's like a steel cable bursting and who Whoa. knows what kind of carnage it can cause. But exactly. luckily we didn't have to deal with that. It, but, <laughs> but, you know, I didn't know where, like how much this piano had been through before us. So right. um, luckily we were unscathed, but that was probably the most successful part where we, where we, we were essentially treating the piano as a percuss- percussion instrument. So we, mm-hmm. we hit it from everything with everything from, you know, traditional beaters that you use on actual percussion and to like rubber mallets, which is more like hardware, um, to rakes, hammers. <laughs> um, the rake was cool because there's so many like tines on the end of a rake that yeah. it would just create this absolute cacophonous inharmonic <laughs> crash that was an incredibly effective percuss- percussive hit. Wow. Um, we also we processed a lot of these sounds through modular synths and stuff. And then we laid them out across the keyboard. So the, I think the most effective way, once, once they were all edited down into samples mm-hmm. and they were all laid out, and um, the best way to audition them and, and figure out what worked in the moment was, kind of, I think what they even call Junkie XL style now. Junkie XL is a 
He's the composer behind Mad Max, and his style is just to lay everything across the keyboard. Um, not even mess around too much with scripting or velocity layers, which we did some of, um, okay. plenty of actually. Sony, Sony did a great job creating, helping craft this library. But I think what was most effective for me is just having an entire keyboard's worth of samples and just in the moment being able to just pluck out the, the one that sounded the most aggressive and biggest for the job. Uh, so that's pretty much what you guys got to work after those three days of recording. You go your separate ways and, and start making music out all those sounds once they're ready, right? Yeah, so once it took, Sony got them ready pretty quickly, um, but it was it was a while until I was re-engaged. So okay. after, after those sampling sessions, um, I think probably about 10 months went by, and that was when Ludwig was composing most of the score. Okay. And so by the time I got called back into the project, it was to do the additional music to accompany the battle system. So okay. there's, there's various enemy types that I alluded to kind of early on. Um, there's, I don't even know how much I should say because I don't want to give anything away, but there's... Well, just there's, there's, a, there's factions competing in the, in, in the ground world, right? Yeah. That's, that's perfect description. Yeah. yeah then we so, don't have to spoil anything. Yeah. <laughs> and so I did, Ludwig had done system one for all of those different factions and I was brought in to do system two. And what so does that, that mean? Is that an intensity level or... No, so that's a good question. So system two was a parallel system um, based on based on the, the battle systems that he created just to add variation to the game. So oh, okay. if there's enemy type one, system one, and you're running into that enemy throughout the game, the cues that I did were an alternative to that just so that the same music wouldn't always play. Okay. Um, but it is it do, they all do function like a suite. It's like a battle system that is created from a suite of tracks okay. that is all that are all designed to work together and oh. the intensity level that plays in the game is based on essentially how much danger you're in as a player mm-hmm. so um to me and what's interesting so i teach a, a music for games class here in chicago at columbia and i think sometimes when depending on what game i teach and i only teach games that i've worked on various like genres come into play where we talk about like ga- genres that are unique to games so it, and I think like a lot of old school games, 16-bit games, and even even some up till now, particularly games that are meant to evoke and inspire nostalgia based on like older older genres and older games, have like these real tried and true subgenres. Like there's town music and there's indoor music and yeah. there's like so. And we had all these conversations in my class about town music <laughs> um, and like what is that? What is it? What does it mean and what is it designed to make the player feel and all these things? And there's like boss music and they all have very, I mean, you can go on YouTube and type in like town music playlist or village music playlist and there's tons of hits. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I've been thinking about, well, that's such like a, it's kind of based on these older approaches to game design and these older systems. But like, what do, what do modern AAA games have that are like that? And I think the closest thing that they have is like these I call them stealth suites and that's like a term that I invented for them, but Mm. it's essentially like, it's a, it's a collection of cues that are all linked together. They're all in the same family. 
they're all in various intensity levels and which intensity level plays is based on how much danger you're in as a player. Yeah. So, and they all are designed to kind of integrate seamlessly with, with one another. So even though like, so for these battle suites, I think I would, I wrote like four or five tracks for each one, but the tracks are like, you're not aware that there's five tracks when you're playing. They all seem like part of the same system, but the system is kind of this living system sure. that scales in intensity based on how much danger you're in. And the, how much mm-hmm. danger you're in, of course, is a function of like how, how aware are the enemies aware, how aware they are of you as a player. Sure. So how um, many different stems are we breaking out into then to, to kind of create that suite? There's, well, a lot. <laughs> so the... <laughs> I think in each one there are four tracks. There's okay. like there's an action layer where you have engaged the enemy, or an, an action, I should say level, action level where you've engaged the enemy. There is an alert level where the enemy is aware, aware of you, but they haven't found you. Mm-hmm. There's a sneak where layer where the enemy is not aware of you yet. Mm-hmm. In some of the cues, there's actually a lost layer, which means that you've pr- you've engaged the enemy and they have lost your location, but they know that you're still around. So, okay. so that's somewhere kind of in between alert and and action. Right. Um, so those all were broken down into stems, but each track was kind of composed by itself. So, like if I'm if I'm doing a stealth suite, to use my own term, like I'll write four tracks, but they'll all be in the same key and they will all roughly use the same palette. But the action layers were built from, you know, by the time I was done, I probably had 80 tracks on some of them. Okay. Um, But the more kind of um, the sneak layers that are a little bit more ambient, those probably have closer to, you know, maybe 20. So they're, so the action, the action tracks are extremely dense. Sure. Sure. Um, and so I was also curious, Joel, you said, you know, you guys had your three-day sampling session out uh, at Sony, and then, you know, you kind of were off the, pro- not off the project, but you weren't needed for 10 months. Did you know at that point that you were going to be contributing music, or did you initially think you were just being hired on to help with sample sounds and stuff? That's uh, that's a great question. Yeah, initially I thought my job on this project is, is, a, is to create musical sound design. Okay, so you didn't know so you were going to write music. No, so so I think part of that was well, what's my credit on this round? Or we didn't even know it was a round at that point. We just thought it was my engagement. So okay, yeah, that for that component of the project, I thought musical sound design is that's that's my role here. That's what I'm bringing to this. And then I had no idea that I was going to be asked to write more. So well, that's exciting too. It was really exciting. I, it was such an honor to be able to kind of have so many different standpoints. On, in this project and, and be involved in so many different capacities. I think mm-hmm. in a lot of ways I got to exercise everything I like about being a composer on this project. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think I was going to be able to even use the sample banks that we'd created because they're proprietary. They're only, they're only used in this game. Um, okay. So, so I had this, you know, like 20 gigs worth of samples on my hard drive and I'm, <laughs> and I'm like, these are really cool and it's fun to play with these and kind of see see what the, you know, the result of what we created from these sampling sessions. And then when Sony asked me to write more music or, you know, music that was actually going to be in the game, and I should say Sony and Kojima Productions, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I was like, you mean I get to use these now? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. Because previously it was, no, don't use, don't use anything that you've sent us before. We want new stuff because my role was mainly to kind of 
create sounds and and we help kind of weave the fabric of the score and then it was like such a it was such an exciting moment when I realized oh I get to use these now <laughs> that's I bet yeah yeah <laughs> that's really cool um, and I mean even better news must have been to find out that some of that would make it onto the soundtrack too I, yeah that was a that was a really exciting moment for me because I think um, this is the first time I've written um, a, you know so I have a dual credit on this game I'm musical sound design is my official credit I've been calling it score designer kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, just when I talk about it, because I yeah. think it's a, what I like about it is it's a, it's a, it's an invented term. So, um, it's, it feels new to me, which is yeah. exciting. I think the, the, tr- the tricky part is when you do something like that and it feels new, it's hard sometimes to know how to talk about it and promote it. Sure. Um, because it hasn't had a trail blazed for it yet. Like nobody knows what a score designer is. Um, <laughs> and to me, that's why it's exciting to be one <laughs> and to play that role. Um, but it, but it definitely like, you know, the, it's off the beaten path. And, and to me, I'm usually happiest when I'm off the beaten path anyway. Um, even though it can sometimes be like a kind of a challenging place. Um, so yeah, I, I have that credit and then additional music. So this was my first time writing additional music for cool. a project. That's amazing. Uh, especially to work with Ludwig. Did you known him before? No, Sony introduced us. Okay. Well, that's nice. Yeah. 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 So we met for the first time um, at Sony Studios near San Francisco and kind of hit it off right away. Spent spent a few days sampling and really getting getting into it. And, and there's some some pictures that Sony took from the session and, and just there's like this look of joy on our faces as we're preparing. <laughs> there's this one where we're both at the piano and we're sticking stuff in the strings and we both have these big grins and it's like to me it was the we were working on this terrifying music in this very dark game <laughs> and we're just we had we had a great time Really cool, um, and I think was a really good compromise about how to how to shoehorn my music into this soundtrack, because there were hours and hours and hours of written for this of music that were written for this game. Original music. There's there's licensed music that's going to be involved in in some kind of soundtrack release. Mm. Um, the way that we were able to shoehorn my 40 minutes into something that would fit on the soundtrack was the tracks were edited down from suites, so from from a four-track suite that might have spanned, you know, 10-plus minutes worth of music, the editors at Sony edited it down, edited two of my battle suites down into two or three-minute representations of what the suite might actually sound like in the game. Oh, nice. Which was a really cool way to do it. At first, it was like, well, you know, I, I, was, I was sort of suspicious, and I think that that composer part of my brain kicked in and was like, yeah. well, that doesn't represent what I did, you know, and, yep. and I think, but... After I heard them, I was like, wow, this really works and it makes a lot of sense. So the tracks really, like, they're, I think each of my tracks are maybe two to three minutes long, but they take you on a journey that really spans kind of the energy levels that we were working with and I think, I think does a really good job of showing those peaks and valleys.
like my so many of my favorite projects, it was I felt like I was forging new ground for myself, and I mm -hmm. think that's a great way to just to stay inspired and and excited about this, where you're where you're uncomfortable. I mean, to me, it reminds me of like kind of getting my first synthesizer when I was a teenager and sitting down in front of it and not knowing what any of it did at all. <laughs> and and what a great place to be where you don't know the rules yet. Mm -hmm. um, and I think every project where I get to do that, I feel, I feel like I did when I first discovered music. Um, and mm -hmm. I can bring everything to it that I know how to do really well. Um, but I can also have this part of it that um, is kind of naive. And I think that naive energy can help create something exciting and different, hopefully. Well, Joel, what a pleasure it was to get caught up with you again. It was a pleasure to be on. Thank you so much. Thanks for letting me talk about this. Of course. And uh, what, what do you got coming down the pike? Anything you can talk about? I am still working on Eastward, which is a game that I think I'd probably started maybe around the last time we talked in 2017. Um, okay. Completely different project than this. It'll be published by Chucklefish. It's a pixel art action RPG. Nice. Um, so very, very different score. And my, it's got the, it's this absolutely gorgeous game. Like it, it's a pixel art game, but it looks so beautiful because of the lighting engine. I mean, not that pixel art isn't beautiful cause I love, I love pixel art. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it does this thing that I think is really interesting. Like, and I, and I think there's different ways that like different art forms and different industries deal with it. But we've got this idea of like what pixel art looked like. And then if you go back and play a 16 bit era game, you're like, Oh, <laughs> like this doesn't, <laughs> this doesn't look as good as I remember it looking, yeah, but, yeah. but this game and, and I think the kind of the modern take in the way that I think a lot of really like designers and, and artists that are at the forefront of, of this kind of neo nostalgia is um, it looks it looks as good as you remember those games looking, and some of that is thanks to things that they couldn't do back then, which is display more colors and have like this gorgeous lighting engine. Um, mm -hmm. And so I'm doing a lot of that. I'm I'm kind of running with that concept for the score. So it's it's a 16-bit influenced score, but it is not a purist take on <laughs> on what that sounds like. In a lot of ways, it's a love letter to like old school video game music because some of the cues are very much like something you could hear on Super Nintendo. Some of them are are like chiptune. So in, okay. in some ways, I mean, some some YouTubers have pointed out, and they're not incorrect, why are they using an 8-bit style chiptune track for a 16-bit style game? And they're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. And my answer is because you can and because people love it and <laughs> I love it's it. awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's a great excuse to do it, and I'm doing it. Yes. Um, <laughs> and then some of, the, some of the tracks are things that would have been absolutely impossible to do back then. So it is very much sort of this um, melting pot of music. And that's going to be, I don't know when it's going to come out yet. I think they've said 2020. Okay. Um, but the score is mostly done. It'll be an hour plus music. And it is an extremely dense hour. There are, I, I don't think we went much past two or three minutes on any of the tracks. So I think the last time oh, I wow. checked the, the soundtrack was like 40 or 50 tracks. So it'll be, it's a lot of music. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, definitely uh, come back when that's ready to go, obviously. I'd we'll love to. About it. Yeah.
Thanks for listening to episode 119 of Level with Emily Reese. You can learn more about Joel Korolitz and see a playlist at patreon.com slash level. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. Hi. You can follow us on Twitter at Level with Emily and learn more about us at levelwithemily.com. Made possible by Adam Selvage at Tiki Web Services and composer Brad Gentle. Level with Emily Reese is a production of June Media.